0: to The Anthroposopher, where we bring anthroposophy to life through interviews, conversations, and explorations. I'm Lars Gappatici, your host. I have to mention that this episode was recorded during an extraordinary time in our history, during the outbreak of the coronavirus, which, if you're tuning in in March 2020, is still going on. Luckily, I was able to talk to Dr. David Gershon, an anthroposophical medical doctor in the San Francisco Bay Area, and Chris Burke, a Lehigh professor and biography worker, and his wife, Jerilyn Berg, an early childhood Waldorf educator. During this episode, we discuss fear and courage and how we can navigate the new terrain that we're on right now. Despite the physical distance, we get to be socially near each other on this podcast. And to support this work, become a member of the Anthroposophical Society. Go to anthroposophy.org to check out the Sacred Gateway Conference, a fully online conference about death and dying coming up this April 2020. Hi, Chris and Gerilyn and David. We are all here in the midst of this very interesting time and we're meeting on Zoom. Um, And David, you are in San Francisco, which has been one of the first cities to take all these kind of extreme measures as related to the coronavirus. And you two are in Pennsylvania. I just wanted to just quickly start out with a story. About three years ago, I was outside and I was at a park with my children and one of my friends. And we looked up in the sky, it was kind of cloudy. And there was a huge rainbow around the sun. It was, I had never seen anything like that. And I remember it's like, yeah, we gathered the kids together and we we're all like looking at the sun and there's a rainbow around the sun. And then um, you know, I was like snapping pictures and posting them because I couldn't believe I'd never seen anything like this. And that's called a Corona. And so I just thought I'd start with that image um, that, you know, I, I don't know what that has to do with the time that we're in now, but I just thought I'd open that way. So... Um, maybe you can just say a little bit about who you are and we know why we're all here together. We're all bringing different things and they're going to be like dings and dogs barking and children crying probably in the background because we're all so, sort of sequestered in our houses. So anyway, okay. David, why don't you go first? Cause you're in San Francisco.
1: Sure. We always get to go first.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: So I have a lot of patients and um, you can imagine uh, the patient load has increased uh, very much uh, over the last month. Not only that, but the, but the kind of care that seems to be required has really intensified. Um, lots and lots of phone calls and lots of meetings in the park and that kind of stuff. And uh, the fear, uh, which, which is really the main topic of discussion. People are absolutely afraid. Yeah. So, you know, medically, I've got to tell you that we have had in our arsenal uh, preparations for many years that we think are uh, as powerful as anything in, in, in dealing with this kind of uh, illness and the constitution that might be behind it. So uh, mm. that's what's happening here. I'm indoors a lot. Um, I have... I just discovered this recipe in one of my Italian cookbooks. Absolutely, insanely good. (laughs) And um, as we speak, I'm creating a local Zoom for the Greater Bay Area community um, around these topics. Yeah, be a many part Zoom, a check-in Zoom, uh, because I, I think people really need it and So that's going to happen sometime during the week.
0: Yeah, you've covered a bunch of things there. So anthroposophical medicine and its sort of um, possibilities around um, mediating this, and then you know your workload. But it sounds like that workload is related to fear in some ways. It's like more because of that. The soul soul care care is
1: immense. It's Mm, just
0: that's a great way of putting it. Okay, thanks. And we're gonna just keep looping back, and we're just gonna explore together. That's the whole point of being together right now. Okay, Geraldine.
2: Well, hi. Hi, everyone. Um, yeah, so I am in the realm of early childhood, and I have three young children of my own. And I'm also a kindergarten teacher, and so I'm, I'm supporting some parents. And this has been officially the first week since we've had no school and trying to navigate this and um, trying to figure out ways to best support my family and the families that I serve. And the first thing that came to me was rhythm. We have to establish rhythm and I have to do my best to support my parents and what that looks like and why we wanna do it and how nourishing it will be for the children and ourselves. So when you called and said, you know, could you talk about rhythm? I was like, oh, "Yes." <laughs> yeah, it's all brand new and like Dr. David said there's a, there's a lot of fear, but in I've had a chance to speak with some of my parents over the phone and it's been amazing. What I sensed was there's a lot of breathing for them. It was like they they got to spend this whole week with their children and and what that looked like and luckily where we are it's pretty rural so they've been able to spend a lot of time outside and so I've been thinking about that a lot how this virus has to do with our respiratory and what breathing looks like and what breathing looks like in rhythm um yeah
0: so (laughs) thanks Daryl that's um exactly what I've been wondering about these sort of things and I feel like Waldorf parents or homeschool parents are sort of a little more set up to deal with this already because we understand the importance of rhythm in the home. Even even with that, I, I still feel like this whole house is falling apart <laughs> sometimes. I mean, it certainly looks like it's falling apart, but um, yeah, so I'm, I'm looking forward to looping back to that. Okay, Chris, how about you?
3: Great. Yeah, so I am a psychology professor at Lehigh University and we uh. Well, two weeks ago we were on spring break and during that week we got the notice that we would be online for the rest of the semester. So we all had to very quickly convert our courses over to being online courses, um, which I know a lot of other folks had to do on really short notice as well. Um, so so that's been really interesting you know, to, to be at home, to be trying to keep up with uh, the work that needs to be done and also um, to, to really just appreciate the time being here with with my family and seeing what we can do, what we can create together, and you know, I, and and I, I study biography as well, and I work with biography as well, and and just thinking about this experience from a biographical standpoint has been um, really interesting for me because it's a, uh, uh, on the one hand, it's a, you know, it's a collective event. We're all going through this together right now, um, and and just being able to look around and see how very differently people can experience it, right? That creates this sort of interesting question for us from a biographical standpoint of, of what exactly, um, you know, do we see this? Do we, do we meet this with fear? Do we see this as a, as a threat? Um, or can we find ways as individuals to see this as an opportunity, an opportunity to be with our families, an opportunity to, to test out new forms, new ways of doing things, to find new ways of stepping forward um, without necessarily having to feeling like we have to hold on to the old ways and and so yeah, and interesting that you mentioned corona as as part of this corona and its connection to the sun and you know in, in biographical terms the the sun is connected to the heart and we in bi- biography work we work with fairy tales a lot and the the sun stories are are uh, often the stories where there's sort of a the simpleton stories are always sun stories and so this this idea of someone who, you know, just, just does what's, what's asked of, of him or her, you know, the the one who accepts what's offered to them, the one who freely gives what they have. And, and I feel like in certain ways, this situation is really calling for that from each of us as well, you know, really just seeing um, how how can I accept what I need right now? And how can I freely give what it is I have to offer? Because um, the reality is that everybody's in a in a difficult situation right now. Everybody's thrown into, um, new routines or the absence of routines and we all have something to offer and, and how can we look at our lives more deeply and understand what it is that we can offer.
0: That is really beautiful. Thanks for that perspective. One of the things that I think might touch all of us is, and Chris, you brought this when we talked the other day on the phone about this podcast. So it's in relationships, you know, you're know, you talking about that son story and the simpleton and accepting things and giving. We all have different temperaments And so I think for some of us, we're going to be able to adapt and shift and others of us, it's going to be harder to do that. And I think it's related to medicine, David, I really don't know that much here, but, you know, if I'm like a nerve sense person or if I'm, a—I mean, there's different ways of sort of being in one's body and in the world. Um, and I'm sure, Geraldine, you told you are looking at temperament all the time with children. But like, maybe we could do that as sort of a launching point for individually how we're coping with this, or, or tips for people in different—you know—I know my choleric temperament. Um, that part of me, I'd like—I have faults in all four temperament.
1: I heard that.
0: <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> you know me too well. Um, that you know. Is not super helpful right now. In some ways, like I'm like I'm like, wow, we have this opportunity to clean the whole house out because we're home for the next two. You know, I'm like, come on, people, let's go, let's get on the schedule. I need this stuff to happen. I've been waiting for a chance to Marie Kondo the house. Not really great for the phlegmatic people in my house that are freaking out a little bit. So anyway,
1: well, that you and Chris say this, I think this is really at the core of what I need to do with patients. Um, <clears throat> My work would be completely empty if, uh, if I just came to the regular allopathic diagnosis. You know, you, know, you have these symptoms, uh, bada-bing, you got pneumonia, you know, take this. But really, that's not, that's not at all satisfying enough for me, or deep enough, really. And for me to have these boundaries... These imposed boundaries is somehow very freeing, and I, I think people understand this a little bit. You know, the um, the chaos and decision making and the way one has to leads leads one's lead one's life out there uh, before before this pandemic, always a little bit crushing, always a little bit chaotic. But now, um, you know, now karma has given us these enormous boundaries, and I feel freer. I really do. I mean, I did clean under my bed, okay? I admit that. Found two socks, which was, you know, incredible. So I have that. And I also have something else, which um, I've shared with, with, with folks, and they kind of resonate with this. And that is, this is not for me entirely out of the blue or new there is something about this uh, world problem there are elements of it that i somehow relate to and resonate with maybe from past life experiences maybe from growing up in a in a jewish family that had experienced uh, all of the horrors that you know that modern uh, european jews Um, experience, but there's something there. Uh, It's a bit of a dark side, but it has, that has also freed me a little bit. I, I did, I haven't gone to the fear part and God knows it's scary enough out there. So that's just a personal perspective, but I do try to elicit that in conversations with all of my patients, really what's happening with you and yeah, got to go there. Because it's all about the fear. What is it? What is the fear? How potent is it? What does it have to do with this pandemic? Are they one and the same? Is this a prerequisite for this kind of pandemic? Does it drive it? Is it part of the cause? Is there a karmic relationship with fear and the pandemic? Didn't mean to bring it down there.
0: No, that was amazing. No,
1: you got to look. And then one has to look really... Uh, you know, we can probably talk about this more, but <clears throat> that's from my personal perspective.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think from a biographical standpoint, uh, you know, it's been interesting to observe temperaments as as well, right? Of course, everyone everyone has a, a has some unique combination of the four temperaments that they carry around. We all we all carry those aspects, and like Laura said, we all have positive aspects of those temperaments, and we have less than positive aspects or, or challenging aspects that we work with and you know one of the things to to remember about temperament is that um, you know Rudolf Steiner says the temperament lives in the etheric body and that's the the habit body and so you know we have this kind of default temperament that we go to in times of difficulty in times of stress when things are feeling uncertain Um, we sort of fall back into something that feels comfortable and safe for us that feels familiar to us even if it's not necessarily something that we you know aspects of ourselves that we value at least it's something familiar at least it's something that we can fall back into and um, you know, and I think with respect to this, uh, you know, this current situation with the pandemic, you see that some people fall into patterns of, you know, more sanguine pattern of just feeling like they need to be doing something, anything to make sure um, that, that they're, they're not just being idle, right? Because idleness is very difficult. It's a difficult position for someone with a strong sanguine uh, temperament. Like you said, for the choleric, strong choleric temperament, you know, the idea is that we have to just get it done. And, you know, there's a clear vision, and there's a clear, you know, this is the way we have to do it, and we need to do it. So, you know, recognizing how, you know, different temperaments work together, because this is the situation is not a a solid, I mean, it's a, we're, we're all being forced into ourselves, and yet we have to find ways, we have to find new ways of working together, and to be able to see another person in the way that they're reacting, and being able to recognize that, ah, this is this is a comfortable place for them. And it may not be my comfortable place, but somehow we have to, we have to find the bridge. We have to to work with this a little bit. You know, for me, one of the ways that that I think about it is that, you know, the the counterpart to the uh, temperament that lives in the etheric are are the planetary forces that live in the astral. And so, um, you know, if we can start to see, you know, what are the, what are the pieces that are a little bit more dynamic, a little bit more fluid in the way that we can, actually channel these kinds of forces, right? So, you know, if you're, say, a more of a phlegmatic kind of temperament who has a very difficult time with change, who feels like everything needs to be very predictable and certain, you know, find ways to channel your inner mercury, right? Your, your, this inner adaptability, this dynamism, this ability to to just uh, roll with the uncertainty. And, and that may not be easy, but it's, it's a way that you know, if you can conjure up these pictures, if you can read the fairy tales that go along with, with different kinds of planetary forces, then maybe you can see ways that you can find those aspects of yourself and start to, to um, engage with each other, engage with the world in more adaptive ways. Um, so, so, I mean, as I think about temperament, I think that's, you know, those are the, some, some of the aspects that come to mind most clearly for me.
0: Thanks, Chris. Yeah, I feel bad for my husband right now. <laughs> of course i'm opposite of him <laughs> okay i'm gonna try to be more generous in my understanding because like what you said you fall back into a familiar way of being something that's familiar so um and that's that's like you know where we will butt heads a little bit but i need yeah. to understand it's a comfort place right yeah and yes it is
3: And and from a biographical standpoint you can even ask yourself questions like well you know where do I see that beginning in my experience? How can I understand, um, you know, can I point to early experiences or is that something that's just been always part of me? Right. So um, maybe you can look back to your experiences in early childhood and see how these kinds of patterns of action and reaction really started to establish themselves in you. And um, the great thing about that is if you can see how these patterns establish themselves in you, it, it frees you a little bit more to feel like you can change them, right? because if a pattern can form, a pattern can change may not be easy, but it, at least it allows, um, it sort of greases the wheel a little bit.
0: Jalen, how's this uh, landing with you? Well,
2: I was thinking about um, what was said about boundaries and how that can feel very freeing and how creating a rhythm during these times, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of people say, oh, I'm just going to sit on the couch all day or, you know, but actually creating a rhythm so that there is structure to the your day that there is breathing and i think that can also help with those those stress forces that are coming to you you take the time to plan out what it is that you'd like to get done what it is you need then you've already thought it out and you can rely on that you can fall back on that when things are are diverted a little bit so taking the time to actually create something because you're dealing with well, for us, you know, we're dealing with multiple people, personalities, and having this form can help you relax. And Steiner says, uh, rhythm replaces strength. And so, even if you have a night where you're not sleeping, you can fall back into that rhythm, that back into that flow. You've, you've thought it out. And, and of course, you can evolve it as the days go by. What is needed? What do I need as an individual? When can I create that in the space? Um, of the day or maybe in the week remembering that the rhythm creating rhythm and and it's kind of a form of a boundary can create a feeling of freedom in that
0: yeah and that goes back to that goes back to what David was saying you Mm -hmm. know that this boundary is here but we, we can create it more in our house I hear you saying and then I liked what you said like it needs to evolve it can evolve over time like we have to decide like we had sort of set up this homeschool thing where it was like Monday through Friday. And then we were like, we're not going to do Fridays. We're just taking Fridays off. That's too much. (laughs) You know, like, and then we were like, well, we were going to do some academic stuff after lunch. And then we're like, no, we're going to do the morning. That's when we're going to do it. And then the afternoon, they're just going to play or build something or dig in the garden, you know, Mm -hmm. and not be so stressed about, um, and it'll, I'm sure it'll just keep changing as things keep evolving too.
2: Yeah. And I think the main thing is that you don't want it to be stressful. And this is the perfect opportunity to create connection with our young ones. And and, and what what does that look like? What what is connection really? You know, you can be physically present with a person, with your child, but are you really there? So, you know, thinking about that and putting that in your daily (laughs) rhythm, like, Connection when you are doing academic time, being really present. I think this time is asking us to really be present.
1: That's really terrific. The whole idea of rhythm and um, providing it, not only for kids but providing it for for those people we know that have just um, just kind of fragmented and gone to pieces. Very little, uh, very little structure in their lives anyway very individual, they really get unhinged. So for adults, I would say for, you know, maybe the teen as well, uh, we have to let them express that or find the way to really allow that to come out because it's very easy for the, you know, for the good girl or the good boy to, to agree, oh yes, you know, structure, rhythm, this, that, and the other, but really, the, the fears and the chaos have not been addressed. And there's an art to that, really. You know, there's a, there's a deep listening that has to happen, uh, a very deep compassion.
0: I, I feel like teenagers in particular, um, you know, when your purpose is taken away, your purpose was to go to school and be with your friends, and that is taken away.
1: The so, tribalism, the tribal yes. world that a teen lives in.
0: Right, so difficult. I think they they are some of the um, people that are most affected by this, and in, in emotionally, um, in their ability to just carry on and not feel that like depression and weight.
3: Yeah, I was going to jump in there too, and and just say, you know, with respect to what Gerald was, was saying about you know finding finding your rhythm, you know, establishing a rhythm, and and then what you were just saying, Laura, about this, you know, feeling free to let the rhythm evolve and and change and adapt and. You know, I think one of the challenges that a lot of folks are facing right now is that um, you know maybe like some of us, you know being sent home from work and you're being at home and, and so in some ways things are being taken away, and at the same time, lots of new expectations seem to be piling up, right the expectation that you're kind of homeschooling your child and still able to stay connected to things and, um, and your communities and, and all of these um, expectations that are are growing, and it can be really stressful um, to you know, hear somebody say, "Oh, you know, here's the structure that you need in your life." For you to say, "Well, that's totally not my structure," and and you should be able to say that, right? You should be able to create your yeah. own um, structure, and and I think that's really important. That that each one of us has to look at our own lives and our own families and find, you know, what is what is going to work for me, and uh, you know, what's the structure that's going to work for me? How how much um, can I really expect from myself right now? And and you know, um, one of my colleagues, Anna Deville and I have this idea of the hummingbird principle. Um, one of the key aspects of that is being able to look at your own life and being able to ask yourself the question, you know, what is my part in all of this, right? When I look at the big problems of the world, when I look at the, the really challenging things that I'm facing in my life, how can I see what part is my part and how can I release myself from what's not my part, right? So um, for many parents, all of a sudden being, t- you know, Feeling like they've just become their children's, you know, grade school teachers or middle school teachers and special subjects teachers, you know, that that really doesn't work for a lot of people, right? And to be able to say, you know, I I can't do that. That's not my role. I need to be able to to do what I can do and feel good about what I'm doing. Um, like Geraldine was saying, it, it shouldn't be stressful, right? It's it's actually the structure is there to, to support you um, rather than to to overwhelm you, right? So. So build into your rhythm whatever you feel like serves you and, and that you can can really take hold of and, and really feel good about and release yourself from what you can't do, right? Because we can't be everything to everyone. And if we stress ourselves out, our kids are going to be stressed out and it's not going to be easy for anybody. So, yeah, so I, I think this idea of, of being able to see, you know, what is the world asking of me right now as an individual? And what is it that I can do? And I'm sure everyone can can think of examples, but i mean i've I've seen examples of friends of ours who are yoga teachers who are doing like re, you know recording these ten minute yoga videos and posting them on online every day or you know we have a friend who's a children's uh, librarian and she's um, hosting a virtual story time every afternoon for people in the community and you know so so the question of if if I can uh, look beyond my immediate circle out into the community and see what is it that I can contribute right now that can make this a little bit easier for for everyone and and that strengthens me in the process, right? Because I I can feel good when I can feel helpful when I can feel useful, you know. So so I think that's that's part of it too is just being able to see, uh, yeah, what's me and what's not me and where can I contribute.
0: See, I think that's a really important question because I know you know one of the things that. I feel people are experiencing right now is David, you were talking about the fear and the underlying thing. And then you know, what is being asked of us right now? What ways are we being asked to change? How can we move more into ourselves? And if I tried to homeschool my kids, that would be a disservice to everyone in my house. But like yeah. I could, I could bake muffins with them or I could be the one that takes them for a walk. Or I could keep working and doing my job because that is also a thing that maybe affects some other people in the world. So I don't know. I I don't know quite where I'm going with that. But what, what else is emerging for you guys? I feel like there was some depth in what you were saying before, David, that I just wanted to get into a little bit more around you were saying why did this come into being was it already there what is it showing us the virus itself and when we talked about the virus the other day on the phone david you said something like what they are trying to show us like you talked about it like a being and i thought maybe we could go there a little bit too so
1: sure. yeah you know we could but but i do want to um i do want to make a comment about that there's a lot of discretion that has to happen here It may be totally inappropriate to go into and I'm not saying this about our talk, but it may be totally inappropriate to go into the finer um, uh, occult um, aspects here. They may really raise even greater fears, you know, and, you know, giving out that kind of information, especially from from the folks who have a mania to share information. um, You really got to watch that. I think all this has to come from your listening, you know, from your sensitivity. What can people handle? What do you want to talk about? What, what what is on your mind? You know, I'm afraid, Doc. I'm I'm really afraid. Well, that would not be the time to talk about viral particles. Why does it have this predilection for the upper person? You know, why is this fiendishly appropriate that this is happening? You know, it's it, it's really for the few. And it's probably you know so that one has to ask about where do you want to go with this what you know so that's number one me this all goes back to like the Buddhist precept uh, of right speech, you know one of the one of the principal precepts of of Buddhism that's incorporated in in anthroposophy, you know how do you listen enough so that you know how to be appropriate in your conversation with the other person. And that, I think, is a huge opportunity for us here to become not only awakened, but to become sensitive, really sensitive to the other. It's hard to do when you're, uh, when you're on BART, you know, with, with a croissant sticking out of your mouth and the and coffee, uh, or much less on, you know, the train from Hoboken into Manhattan, but now is a good time. Now is a better time. What is a community and um, why is it an organism and why must we be extremely sensitive now to the other? Hmm. Right speech. If you don't know what it is, um, you know, I would say be a good opportunity to take a look at what that means, right speech.
0: I think Chris and jerilyn have both experienced this in some of the questions that are coming towards them as professionals, you know? Um, and I've certainly experienced it in like the mania with the news and people wanting to spread the news. And even in myself, I'm like, I get this new bit of news and i have like, gotta go tell my husband this new bit of news. Can I, what can I do in myself if I'm going to share that so that I'm not carrying the fear of the mania with it as I as I share it? And that's that's right speech. That's not even the listening side. So maybe you two could talk a little bit more about that. Thanks for bringing that, David.
2: I don't want to say too much because I'm still just so experiencing it. And um, I think for me so far, because it's all so new and the path ahead is not even there. We're, you know, we're we're walking it. I feel like irony in this virus is that it's actually asking me to breathe and how am i breathing and how much was i not breathing beforehand
3: so i mean i would say for me uh, two things come to mind one is that um you know with respect to what geraldine was just talking about and and what you know feeling called to just sort of slow down and breathe you know I, i think one of the one of the things we have as a society, as a world right is, is this um, cult of busyness, right? Like we're just all busy all the time and, and in a lot of ways, our constant busyness, busyness uh, allows us to not really confront a lot of challenging issues. And, um, and now that we're being asked to put the brakes on, we're not we're being forced to put the brakes on, right? All of a sudden we have this space for, um, seeing things a little bit more clearly, and, and that in itself can can be a source of fear for people, right? That that being able to see themselves and listen to themselves a little bit more clearly um, can can be paralyzing for folks, and um, and you know, and, and I mean, I see people in, in my organization too, like really trying to. Um, you know even though we're not physically meeting anymore but try to like trying to keep all of those meetings in place and trying to keep things going like they were because there's comfort in the busyness for for a lot of folks and um so so that's part of it and and, and you know finding compassion for, for for um ourselves and for each other for um knowing what's difficult for us right i mean our um you know our, the busyness that we find in our lives really helps us to to get through to make to make forward progress right and, and if we suddenly don't have the busyness and we have to see ourselves and our faults and our challenges more clearly you know that that's a huge thing that people have to, to grapple with right now so so I think finding compassion is is part of it the other thing that comes to mind for me is the you know Steiner has this great lecture on social and antisocial forces in the human being and he talks about you know how the human being is moving through history and you know, we had gone through this period where the, the, the social group, the kin group was really sort of the source of everything that we had this, this social connection by default. And, and then we moved into this time of, of antisocial forces where we're developing the intellect, we're developing the individual. Um, and, and now we're in a place where we need to be cultivating these social forces again in, in new ways. We need to be doing it deliberately and consciously and, and finding new forms. And, you know, for me, one of the things that I see happening in the context of this virus is that people are being thrown back into a more antisocial space by default and recognizing the many ways that they depend upon other people and they miss the social contact with other people that they're yearning for the connection and and actually, finding new appreciation for other people, right? For the people who are, you know, continuing to stock the grocery shelves, to the people, to the healthcare workers who are putting themselves on the line every day, to um, all of the, the the folks who actually keep things going from day to day. That suddenly, when they're not there, we we can appreciate them more. So, so I think there's a there's an opportunity in this, and I agree with David about um, you know. Not wanting to dive too deeply into the esoteric possibilities of this situation, but I, I think one of the things that I've learned through biography work and through karma work is is learning to recognize the um, the what we normally think of as the adversarial forces as ones that are calling us to grow in new ways. Right? They're they're challenging us to grow in new ways, and you know, and I think in this particular situation. Um, whatever those forces might be they're part of what they're doing is they're calling us to find new social forms, find new ways of being connected, find new ways of, of contributing to the, the collective good and um, you know when, when Steiner talks about the threefold social organism um, he talks about what is what does a healthy economy looks look like it's, it's about freely giving what you can give to, to meet the needs of other people right and so now we can have this clear view out into the world of what are the needs of other people and what is it that I can freely give and feel good about freely giving actually because I, I, I want to feel useful. I want to feel like I'm a part of this.
0: Thanks, Chris. Any closing thoughts or tips for people? I feel like I have a better understanding of some of the things I can do in my house. And then this um, real concept of listening, I think is really important to bring into every exchange, honestly. so. Uh, what else? What else should we send people with?
1: So one of Rudolf Steiner's messages that got, that grew and got uh, strength during World War I was the question of waking up. And this was a repeated um, question from him. And it became quite touching and quite uh, really forceful. I mean, it, it became the theme of his, of his message really. Um, and if one's interested, there is a group of lecturers called The Fall of the Spirits of Darkness. That's a charming title. So given in 1917, and in it Steiner develops this message to the members, and he gets the whip out, you know, you people, we must begin to wake up. We must begin to look at the forces coming at us with equanimity and really by doing that, by recognizing what is out there, what are the forces out there, it, it is probably the most powerful um, antidote to um, to the harm that these forces can cause, just by simply waking up and recognizing what is going on out there. You know, you don't have to, and this is a real Mikaelic task, really. I think this question, has become really very, very powerful now. Can we wake up to what is going on out there? Not necessarily a study of, uh, of Ahriman and the fallen forces, but um, not necessarily to ignore it. Wake up to ourselves. Wake up to, to the balance between you know, the animal Um, reactive nature in us versus the more considered human nature? Where are we there? Things that people don't like to look at, but they're essential. And I have found, thank God, Western psychiatry and everything else has been so influenced by Buddhism and also by anthroposophy, because without it, we would be lost. We would be more analytical than we want to be. But I think there are paths now to look compassionately, even at ourselves. You know, what is anger here? What is the antipathy? And can I begin to wake up to it and recognize that it is a habitual force? And how can I begin to, uh, you know, to look at it? uh, as, as, As Pema Chodron would say, how can I begin to look at the hook? as it approaches me. And I I think that's a, a very valuable uh, idea to impart. And I'd be happy to impart what little I know um, at some other time.
0: What did you say? Look at the hook as it comes towards you. Like, right. it's nice. You That means you see the hook and it, it's coming instead of you're just grabbed by it. It's the practice awesome. of
1: life. It's yeah. um, because it happens very quickly.
0: Yeah, you know, totally. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: you know this descent into the into the animal, um, however necessary nature in us. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a practice. One has to really want this and begin to get good at it, and not fight it, but to really
3: breathe through it, as Geraldine uh, would say. Thank you. Maybe picking up on one of the threads that David just just mentioned is that. You know, I, I would say to recognize that we're this is a threshold moment for us as a as individuals and, and as a society, and that we have to recognize that fact. You know that that we are, you know, we've we've reached the edge of what we can what we can know, and that there's there's a lot of unknowing us in in the future on the other side of that threshold. Um, in biography work, we we work with the idea that that we can actually work with fear in a positive way. Peer, fear is a positive force for navigating threshold experiences, right? That that actually. Uh, Anna to and I work with courage and fear and threshold experiences as two necessary forces the the courage to step forward, but you also need the, the fear is is there as a way of kind of putting on the brakes a little bit and saying um, you know you don 't know what 's ahead and don 't just just burst through the door right but but to to step through with, with some caution with some discretion uh, because you really don 't know what 's ahead you need to step forward and you don 't know what 's ahead and and actually when you find in that balance for yourself between courage and fear whatever that balance looks like for you sometimes there's a little spark that comes there a new insight about how something can be transformed how something can be changed and how um how things can how you can move forward and then suddenly you find yourself beyond the threshold so i, I mean for me i think uh just holding on to that picture of just standing on that threshold and and what's what's pushing me forward? What's holding me back? And and where's that sort of spark of enthusiasm or inspiration that I need um, to to carry forward?
0: What a nice picture. I can see the figure standing there. Well,
2: I was just reminded with what Chris said about how important it is for our our inner gesture. Um, How when the children are with us, it's not just what we're doing outwardly, but also inwardly, you know, reminding that, that courage in us, that, that peace that we can find um, when we're with our children, what a gift for them and for us <laughs> that they will call that from us.
0: Thank you. Yeah, it, it's so important how we're present with, with them and with each other. And it's okay to have fear, but also to, like you said, it's fear and courage. And this, these things exist at the same time. I am so grateful for our time together and we'll see how this conversation keeps evolving. I mean, I feel like one day there's, you know, we put something together and then the next thing, next day, everything has changed and we have to talk about it in a new way again. And that's that constantly going through that threshold and really trying to tune in and, and evolving, as you said, Darilyn, in our day and in our lives every day. So thank you so much. And um if we want to reach you guys how do we reach you chris can you tell us a website that we can get to you at
3: uh sure you can um find more information about my work at the awesome
0: the and that's your work with anna wild and right, biography yeah. and david you have these community meetups that are coming up for the bay area no.
1: yeah, okay. yeah just creating it it'll be a zoom uh you know yet one more zoom um, for the greater bay area and there'll be uh you know, there'll be biographers and uh, nurses um, and teachers and uh, docs and the people. So the first one, hoping to have that uh, Friday, this this next Friday uh, evening, as the launch, and it'll be this will be the time for the real conversation. People um, hopefully will chime in, talk about what they're going through, inspiration that they'd like to share. We'll move towards uh, what one can do the very next one. It'll be home health care.
0: Great. So I know the Anthroposophical Society in America wants to encourage everybody to take, if they can, if they can find a way to take some initiative in their community, whether it's just calling their aunt Mm -hmm. on a rhythmical basis or, you know, joining these Zoom meetings or just take a little initiative and do, like you said, do what you can do right now. How about you, Gerilyn? How do we find you? Well,
2: I don't have anything public right now, but I did want to share that Lifeways, an organization that I've been um, associated with, um, is updating their website and their blogs, and it's such a wonderful resource for families, for parents, uh, um, supporting home life with young children. um, And already I've had a few people reach out to me and just say thank you for sharing that, and it's been a breath of fresh air
0: for them lifeways north or... i think so LifewaysNorthAmerica.org.
2: i think if you put in okay. lifeways north america it'll show up yeah okay
0: that's great all right thank you all so much and i hope we get to talk again and we'll see i hope thank that you, everybody's Laura. listening found something in this that helps them out too we all yeah. need to help each other right now Thanks. okay bye Bye-bye. 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 Thanks for joining us today on The Anthroposopher. Stay tuned for our next episode.